Welcome to the Propaganda Report podcast. This is Monica Perez, and I am joined today by Gabriel Custodiet of the Watchman Privacy Podcast. We met him in a recent Zoom party just for patron saints, and I felt like we have to bring this to the larger audience. He's really knows what he's doing. He's uh, so methodical and thoughtful about this question, the subject that I feel like we're going to get a real lot out of a, uh, just a short conversation. Gabriel, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. So, so here's the thing. I actually had a request from a listener to do that little party, a kind of, um, tutorial almost on internet privacy. I know people are concerned about it. For me, I, I'm intimidated. So I should use privacy or I should try to pursue privacy, but I feel like so much of what I have to say is already out there. I maybe should have started sooner if I wanted to do it. And it's probably a massive hassle that I will not be able to master myself because I'm not very tech savvy. <laughs> so so that's how I'd like to start is you're talking to me, to somebody like me, and I wouldn't even know where to begin. So what what do you, do you think it's hopeless for somebody like me or should I give it a shot? And what should I do if that's what you think? Yeah, I think it's hopeless. Let's uh, let's call it a night then. <laughs> you can just speak to that one listener who asked for this. We'll do it just for him. That's had well, to. Well, I'll, I'll give you two two quotes here. Of course, you have uh, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, and also one of my favorite quotations. I think it's Jean Paul Sartre, the philosopher. He says, "It's never too late to make yourself out of what you've been made into." So there's some motivation from the start. Wow, I'll ha- I really have to ponder that one. Uh, yes, I will try my best to adapt to this this new world, the brave new world. So, what do you what are what are kind of the basics? What do you think should be the first the first pass for people who are new to even thinking about internet privacy? Well, I like to start by telling people why they should be private. For an audience like this, who I'm guessing slants libertarian or or something like that. Uh, probably they don't need too many excuses to pursue privacy. Uh, But of course, uh, I like to start from first principles. Privacy is uh, the reality of the universe, right? Our private mind is the essence of the universe. And that's the only thing that we can be certain exists. And of course, the cultivation of uh, that mind, the individual, the individual mind is of utmost importance. And it can be controlled and manipulated. And we know all of that. And so privacy is nothing less than protecting uh, the fundamental essence of of our being, right? Um, And I know that that sounds a little bit goofy, but um, the first thing then that privacy does is it's protection, right? Uh, It's protection. It's a bulwark against the state, uh, which in the 20th century killed 200 million people. R.J. Rummel, death by the state. And that doesn't include world wars, which it probably should. Um, It's protection. Well, I'll put it like this. You don't have to tell uh, people who live in repressive regimes that censor and suppress what the importance of privacy is. Uh, You don't have to tell people who are uh, gay and live in one of, I think, 10 countries where you can be uh, receive the death penalty for being gay. And meanwhile, you might use a a Facebook, which can out you. And I think just a a few a few clicks. Um, You don't have to tell people who have personal enemies or the alarmingly high percentage of people who are stalked, uh, especially these days, um, who are at threat of losing money in a lawsuit um, about the importance of privacy. 
in places, litigious places like the U.S., you have uh, lawsuits aplenty. Uh, these lovely billboards uh, where people say, basically, come come get you some free money. It's not your fault. It never is, right? Um, one, one in 20 people uh, in the U.S. will spend time in prison. So if you have a nice Thanksgiving get-together and you have 20 people in your house, one of them will spend time in prison. Um, that is true in- for me. <laughs> I will say I don't think I've had a Thanksgiving without somebody having gone to prison. <laughs> uh, good times. Um, I have a big family. It happens. <laughs> um, of course, if you're rich, rich and famous, uh, you have all the reasons in the world to be private. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg said things like uh, privacy is no longer a, a social value. And then he proceeded to buy all of the estates surrounding his own in Palo Alto, of course, for privacy reasons. And then he bought a private island a couple of years later near Hawaii, uh, because I guess privacy is important. Um, so anyway, just just a, just a few reasons uh, yes, uh, I, at the beginning of why we should be private. And I have a, a few thoughts that came to mind as you were talking uh, that a big thing is that this um, thought police kind of thing that's happening in schools and online and just in every walk of life, your job, I'm sure many people's jobs, it's, it becomes so chilling that you start to censor your own thoughts going to what you're saying originally. And that's, that's scary, but that's definitely happening. Like that's what kids are learning how to not think their own thoughts because they're afraid that they'll get in trouble for whatever, you know, thoughts are thoughts. Sometimes they are going to offend people. So there's that. There's also like your citation about democide, which is hundreds of millions of people killed by their own regimes. Our founders knew that. And that's why the privacy is enshrined in the Fourth Amendment and implied elsewhere as well. And I also noticed that treason, treason is a capital offense. There's a few things that are federal capital offenses. Treason is one of them, last I looked. And when you have people who run the government, who control that mechanism, who have been operating outside the Constitution for decades, there's absolutely no chance that the righteous person in this country, according to the laws of the country, um, could count on their righteousness as their protection. And that is why the Fourth Amendment has those, uh, that you have the right to privacy. It was based in the fact that these were revolutionaries who knew that an unjust government had to be uh, overthrown and that you could not do that without without privacy. And it really concerns me that we'll never have an opportunity to resist if they've, they're, this year they hit the First Amendment. So you can't do it publicly and I feel like you, the only hope would be private. Yeah, I mean, you're you're speaking a lot of truth here, and it's always it's always useful to have a, a legal background. Uh, it you see privacy in a in a different light, but uh, of course, there's a book. It's called Three Felonies Per Day by a, a man named Harvey Silverglate, and his contention is he says that the average person commits three felonies a day, uh, not because they're evil people, but uh, because the just the sheer amount of laws on the books. Um, have just expanded and expanded. I think it's Tacitus, the Roman historian, who says that the um, the more laws, uh, the more corrupt a state is. Uh, and so you can you can get caught up in in all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and actually, I've always thought that that they they do that on purpose. They make sure that everybody is guilty, and then they only decide later who they're going to pursue 
And that way they kind of have control over everybody. I always think this when they do anti-corruption stuff in foreign countries, it's like, well, all of the oligarchs in that country are corrupt for sure. So they identified this one guy. They're taking all his money and putting him in jail forever, probably because he was just resisting what they wanted to do and what the other oligarchs were up to because they were all guilty. But when when laws are not enforced evenly, they are our weapons of politics for sure. That's true. I'm, I'm full of quotes uh, this afternoon. So uh, Cardinal Richelieu, he says, uh, show me six lines written by the hand of the most honest of men, and I will find something in them which will hang him. So, that's, wow. <laughs> um, the the Soviet politician, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. He said, uh, "Show me the man, and I'll show you the crime." So, uh, that it can be a solid. scary world sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So okay. So what we're what we're thinking? I'm not just thinking. I I often think that. See, I worry that they would use private information against you just to scandalize you, discredit you, undermine your reputation. If you were to do those other things, like try to actually be politically active in a way that was clearly righteous and they couldn't assail you on that, they can not only find crimes and actually put you away, but they can simply neutralize you by reading just private things that, that should be private. I remember when Sarah Palin had her son who had Down syndrome. I have a son who has Down syndrome. It takes some getting used to. So she had the son and she said some things in her home that that felt disrespectful to the child with Down syndrome. I understand what that's like. In the beginning, you just kind of, you say things that you think other people are thinking. I don't know, but somebody went and spread this around to discredit her. And I thought, every people say stuff like that say things that they that don't make sense when they're spread around newspapers in their homes and texts in emails and that kind of thing and it, it, it they're even looking at when they look at tweets of somebody or or communications of people who were 12 years old saying something stupid and then try to hold against hold it against the adult everybody knows it's ridiculous but it's out there and i think everybody would just be happier if they had some control of that, I guess, especially if you have teenagers who may say stupid things and and you hope it doesn't ruin their lives. So, yeah. So privacy, I guess, is more important than I thought. Yeah. No, you, you're right that we we say all kinds of things and we expect it to be private. And if it became public, uh, you know, it could be it could be used against us. There's infinite examples, of course, just most most recently, just Joe Rogan. Um, they they dug up his use of, of the N word. Um, and of course, that's that's a reason to. Uh, um, uh, draw and quarter him. Uh, yes. And, and actually it seemed to me that from my understanding is in almost every case, if not every case, it was in context, a reference to what somebody else was saying or whatever. Like he was, it, from what I understand, he's never saying it from a place of, um, you know, like his own heartfelt words of prejudice, but that's the thing about when they can take your words out of context, they can paint them. I mean, Papa John, the guy who founded Papa John, they actually tricked him into saying the word. Like they literally said, read this sentence, basically. And he lost his company over it. And it was just an out and out tr trick. But if they can, they're never going to give you context. They're never going to give you the benefit of the doubt. They could use trick. So, yeah, but I, I, for me, I feel like I say everything I think right out there in the open, but that's not really true because you also have personal interactions with people you love that could embarrass them, you know, if you're, if you're texting or emailing or whatever. 
Yeah, of course. So let me just throw out a, a couple of solutions here. Um, I know somebody who he runs a program that basically deletes tweets uh, after a certain period of time. So that's something like that uh, can't happen. Um, you can, of course, and should communicate with all of your loved ones with private messengers. I tend to recommend things like Signal, Wire, Session. Uh, you can probably try all of them and, and see what your community is in. And when you use these like Signal, use uh, which are end-to-end -end encrypted, zero knowledge, all the good stuff. Um, and you can have the messages expire, which is what I automatically do. Um, and if you have friends on Facebook, on social media, don't communicate them. Don't communicate with them through Facebook Messenger. Uh, say, hey, let's let's talk on Signal and do it that way. So they're, they're just some basic things so that you're not just sending emails out, out there into the ether, which you should always expect an email to be public at some point. That's just kind of the way you should think about these things. Um, and with private messengers, that's uh, that's where all, all all or most of your communication should be coming from. So I have a private server that I don't do much with it. It's for my websites, but I did set up a private email account attached to that server, and I use a service called Zimbra. Is that as private as I think it is? Like it's a private thing that just it's my own email address. And I just wonder, is it, are you saying to use a messenger if you don't have a private email server or even a private email server isn't good enough in your opinion? Well, here's the thing about email, Monica, is that you are sending emails to somebody. Oh, right. right. That's so, true. so um, you send your email to somebody who has a Gmail address and well, right. now, yeah. now Google has the, the entire yeah. thing. So the, the, the thing about the, the thing about the private messenger is that uh, you both have to have this application. That's one of the downsides. Right. But because you both have it, it can run through that program's servers and all of their end-to-end -end encryption. Uh, and so you can be, uh, so you're in good hands. So email is simply not private. I use a, um, I use a Proton mail email address. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not private in the sense that I'm mostly emailing people probably with Gmail addresses. Uh, and so Gmail gets a copy of that entire uh, conversation. Right. Uh, but there are some people who might be using Proton Mail email addresses. And between them, that conversation is private. But okay. yeah. uh, there's one more reason to use uh, Proton Mail uh, or, or something similar. You have, you have C Templar, you have uh, Tutanota. Proton Mail is just the most popular. The, the other benefit is that it's a zero knowledge service. What does that mean? It means that Proton Mail, the company, has no access to your account. So they cannot see the uh, the the email sitting in your account. They can't see your calendar. They can't see these things. I like that. Uh, I prefer that they don't have access to my account. It does mean that you have a password. And if you forget that password, nobody's helping you. Nobody can help you get it back because they don't know it. And can that change? Can the privacy, could ProtonMail get a subpoena from the FBI and change that without you even knowing? Um, it is open source proton mail and most of these almost all these services i recommend are open source which means that people are monitoring the code and if it were to change uh you would you would certainly hear about it oh wow cool boy i am ignorant you got to tell me where like i'm gonna need a book or just i don't i i think i need 
I'm going to, we're going to have to hit resources at the end. Um, of course, your podcast, I should just listen to it. Well, but... And, and I have, I have my own privacy guide, the Watchman Guide to Privacy. Oh, fantastic. and I basically, oh, yes. yes, yes. And so I walk people step by step. I assume a, a reader who is just getting into the stuff and we walk step by step through all of this stuff. So, yeah, that's great. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So, uh, so you were saying what people should do to preserve their privacy is the first thing you say is that do messages through one of those that you just suggested. I wrote down only signal cause I recognized it, but, um, so, so message to other people who have these private messages and you did not say telegram. I noticed that. Uh, telegram. The problem with, uh, the only problem with telegram is that it is not, uh, last time I checked by default end to end encrypted. Um, and so, uh, you have to switch that on manually and that's kind of what you would want to do. Um, and so uh, besides that telegram could be okay. I would prefer one of the ones I mentioned though, signal wire session, uh, element. And, you know, uh, Monica, before, before we get into, uh, more of the strategies, I think the first thing that people need to understand is it's not so much a okay, here, go download this nice service. It is a, it's a fundamental behavioral change. And that is to stop giving out information. Um, and that's not, that's not a sexy thing to say. It's not, oh, go download this uh, amazing software. But that is at the heart of all this stuff. Because if you don't plug the leak, then you're going to keep sinking, uh, regardless of, uh, anyway, I've, I've lost the analogy there. Um, but so I tell people first, stop giving out your information. Privacy cannot, privacy cannot come from outside. It has to come from within, right? Privacy is decentralization. A company cannot give you privacy. A government cannot give you privacy. Uh, you have to do things yourself. Uh, you have to um, uh, protect your own information because as soon as you start relying on something else, you are at risk of getting exposed. So I have a question for you on that. Um, how rigid are you with that? in that or strict maybe is a better word in that there are in this modern age like the one there is a consolation to the constant surveillance and censorship and tech revolution is that it makes your life it can make your life a lot easier it can you can share calendars or you can do a fitbit or like my iphone counts my steps how how far would you go to say, do not share your information? Would you absolutely say, don't even tell them how many steps you're taking in a day? Or would you say, just use your judgment? Well, uh, it's a good question. And when I, what I said just now is not advocating doing, not at all participating in the digital world. Of course, we benefit from that. I'm just, there are, for example, uh, in the first case, there are things that you simply don't have to give out. Right. There's there's information you don't have to give out. You don't have to give out your real email address. Uh, you can use a, a service like 33 Mail, uh, where you can make basically um, infinite uh, email addresses on the fly, and it will be transported to your real email address. So you never have to give out your real one. Uh, you don't have to when you go to the mechanic, uh, give out your real address and uh, other real information. You don't have to give out your real phone number just because somebody asks. First of all, I tell people, uh, just reject by default. Say, I don't give out this information. If they are absolutely insistent, you can use something like a 33-mail email address. You can use uh, one of the popular public phone numbers that are known. Uh, this one um, plays a, 
uh, plays uh, Rick a Rick Astley. Uh, uh, you'll get Rick rolled. Uh, <laughs> I get Rick rolled. That's awesome. The, uh, the phone number is a two four eight four three four five five zero eight. And if somebody That's calls that, they'll just get uh, awesome. Yeah, I so, love it. So uh, I'm not saying don't participate at all. I'm just saying that there are so many instances where you don't actually have to uh, give out this information. I was recently um, at the dentist and I didn't, they don't know anything about me. Uh, not a single thing. Um, they, and I paid with cash. So that's okay. It's, it's easy with dentists as, as, compared, to, as compared to some um, uh, medical providers. Uh, I think you wanted to talk about that later, but there are all kinds of things you don't have to give out. Uh, even before you get to uh, things like Fitbits and such. Now, I don't use things like that for my own reasons. I understand the benefit. Uh, Fitbit was acquired by Google, I think, last year. I'm not a big fan of of Google. Um, and so I don't participate in that. Is that, am I going to um, regret giving uh, my steps? And, and um, well, Fitbit can tell more. It can tell if you're wearing it, uh, what you do during the day, uh, yeah. other other kind of personal things. Is that the end of the world? No. But I'm kind of strict about these things. So I just say no to most of them. Right. Right. Okay. So can we keep talking about kind of first steps? Yes. So first of all, stop giving out information. Just uh, develop a confrontational uh, mentality about anytime anybody asks for something, you tell them no. You tell them, why do you need that? You say, well, you can see this, but you're not scanning it. Whatever you have to do, give have yeah. have a fit some fake information uh, if it's acceptable uh, on the fly, uh, and so you do that first. Second, use more private messengers. Um, after that, I would say that everybody should be using a VPN, a virtual private network. This is simply a piece of software that you purchase, and I do recommend that you buy one, uh, pay for it. Don't rely on a free one. And this piece of software will essentially route your internet traffic to a, a different server so that your, your own internet service provider cannot see what you're doing. It's just an encrypted blob of, uh, of information. Your uh, internet service provider cannot see that. And you are trusting the VPN company to do what they say they're doing, which is uh, to not log your data. And you are looking for one that does not log your data. And more than that, one that has been... Uh, tested uh, and audited to, to show that. So I'll give you some examples. Uh, ProtonVPN uh, tends to fit that category. Uh, Molvad uh, as well. Uh, ExpressVPN, these are some of the uh, ones that uh, are at the top of the list. And so use a VPN on any piece of uh, tech that you're using that can run the VPN um, and you will ensure that your internet service provider cannot see you, but also that the websites that you are going to uh, cannot see see you as well, see your uh, IP address, which has uh, a certain identity uh, attached to you. Um, and they cannot uh, kind of develop a uh, portfolio on you and your activities. So now if you do that, if you get a VPN and you switch to private messaging and uh, will that, do you happen to know if that is throw some kind of flag somewhere? I mean, are there if you were to try to renew your license online and you were on a VPN, like, does that get you into some, on some list somewhere? I'm probably on every list I could possibly be on. So. Well, we were talking uh, in, in this uh, meeting with the premium members that you described, we were talking to a gentleman who said that when he was applying for a, uh, a service 
um, that it detected that he was using a VPN in a different country and the service uh, expected him to be in the United States. And so they, uh, they, they canceled them. Um, and so, yes, 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 <laughs> you can be uh, flagged for using a VPN. For me, half the stuff that I try to buy online these days is uh, rejected. And a lot of times wow. I don't find out about this until a week later when the company, when I ask the company, well, what happened to the order? Yeah. Oh, we detected it as fraud and we canceled. Well, thank you for letting me know. But um, yeah. now that's in my case, that's probably not just the VPN. It's probably the fact that I'm I'm shipping it to uh, a place that is a uh, public uh, post office box. Um, it's probably the fact that I'm using a uh, privacy.com card, which is another service that I, I tend to recommend, which allows you to basically uh, create uh, debit cards um, attached to your bank account, but it allows you to uh, create a kind of burner debit card. So it's probably wow. a combination of these things, which wow. is the reason why I get rejected. But yes, uh, the and this should be insulting to us, Monica, because the Internet uh, or because you you'd be surprised the amount of places that you go on the Internet and you discover that, well, they might cancel your order or they might not let you use their service or they might say, well, this is suspicious We're we're not letting you uh, uh, subscribe just because you're using a VPN. They're basically saying we can't see where you are located because that's what a, an IP address does. We see that you're using a privacy service. So, no, you cannot you cannot uh, engage with commerce with us. And that's actually that's actually a tell. So as a person like me that I don't have any of those things that would ever kick anything back to me, I don't realize how important it is to them that I am engaging in this flow of information. They, they're they're kicking it back to you because they care about that and it's a part of their of the infrastructure. But people like me don't don't see that signal. So it's actually right. It's not only should it insult us, but when I was like, oh, well, is it does it flag you? The fact that it flags you is a flag to me. That makes me think actually may, it it may be worth the extra effort because it's obviously integral to you. And I guess it goes with that know your customer stuff, which I'm not super familiar with, but I think there are even some laws in certain industries that require that kind of collection of data that, and again, I think we wouldn't even know it unless it kicked back. Right. And look, I, I understand some of these, some of these small businesses, for example, online, and they see they're using something like Stripe uh, or one of these processors square and, and they just get a message and it says, this is likely fraud and they can't afford uh, to, uh, you know, deal with, they can't, we'll put it this way. If, if Amazon can deal with small instances of fraud, if it's real, but your your small business probably they probably can't just let that go. I actually talk to somebody. Sometimes I respond to these businesses that don't process my order, and I kind of talked oh. to the guy, and he was just a he was just a random guy running his little shop, and he said, "Yeah, sorry, I I just can't risk it." And I understand that, so it's it's a little bit frustrating because I always end up just going back to Amazon. Uh, oh, so yeah. often, which is yeah. uh, which is which really. Uh, which really breaks my heart. Um, but uh, Amazon lets me do my thing. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of the the situation we're in. And I would say, don't be discouraged using a VPN. I think the more people use them, the more mm -hmm. companies will have to change, uh, mm -hmm. first of all. And second, I just, I'm not comfortable giving my 
my home address essentially to one of these uh, one of these companies. And we we know Monica that uh, some online shops will even charge you more if they detect that you are from a particular area. Let's say uh, with of yes. a of a high income zip code, they can yes. they will sometimes charge you a little bit more. So there's there's sneaky stuff that can happen, um, and that kind of gets back to uh, what we were saying earlier about getting access to the what's really going on. Um, if you have a VPN and people can't see where you are, well, maybe they won't give you the local news. Maybe they'll give you, and maybe they won't see your history and uh, adjust what they're what what they think you want to see. But you start to see the internet in a neutral way, which has also been a fascinating experiment when I've been using VPNs and, and things like this nonstop is I see a neutral internet, which I think most people don't see. Yes, right. It's highly curated to you. I mean, a couple of times I've just been blown away. And when I open my phone and there's a recipe for something I was talking about, not even Googling, like that happened right, a couple of right. times. <laughs> I, please, that just blows my mind. But yeah, they what actually could happen is a VPN company or a consortium of VPN companies could maybe like you said, there's a way to get a debit card that that is like a burner debit card. There could be a, you know, maybe they could figure out a way if John McAfee were around, <clears throat> figure out a way to have like a, a guarantee, like a bank guarantee. Like if you join a VPN, or get a VPN, they could have a separate service that you could pay for where they can, <clears throat> you know, whatever. You could escrow a thousand bucks or something and they could always guarantee uh, to small businesses so small businesses know oh well this has the mark of the vpn guarantee i can take this guy even though i don't know anything about him you know there would be yeah. solutions you know i'm not saying yeah, that's necessarily a solution right. but yeah. but what you're saying is if enough people do it they're gonna have to accommodate that right that's why i'm not i'm not willing to compromise on a lot of these things yes it is inconvenient doing these things sometimes um and i'll tell you what when man the, the frustration that I've just run across uh, trying to be a, trying to be private on the internet and otherwise just the the amount of hoops that I've had to jump through and the, and the endless captchas oh my god Monica really the, ca the captchas clicking on the fire hydrants and um, all the rest to prove you're not a robot I think I've proved my humanity many times over <laughs> by now there's a really hilarious commercial of a robot trying to do that stuff and he's getting super mad and he like lasers people around him because he can't figure out how to make it work I have actually witnessed a um, web-based company get a bot attack from like millions of bots and it was all hands on deck and they were trying to keep their onset going as the bots like descended. So I can see why there's, they, they have their walls against that and that you're falling into that. Um, yeah, I can, I can understand too, but there's other ways to do it, I think. And um Anyway, it's frustrating to me. <laughs> yeah. So, so in your experience, though, because if people are listening, they may be discouraged by that. Has your experience yielded a lot of or any kind of ways that people can gird themselves against the frustration or bypass the more frustrating experiences that you've had to learn from experience? Yeah. So, first of all, you don't have to have the VPN on at all times. I go the extra route and I have a VPN on my router. So I can never turn it off, essentially. And so I don't I don't have that option. But you could just use the software VPN, which is kind of the default. And OK, this website's not letting you do your thing. So you turn it off. Um, 
and you've kind of learned your lesson, you learn that this website is tracking you, but you turn it off and you can you can do your thing. In terms of other things about dealing with VPNs, uh, first of all, I would say just for anybody out there, just get one and start and kind of test it out and and, and work your way through. Um, yeah, in terms of uh, techniques for getting around some of this stuff, um, I've been meaning to to kind of put that into words and and come up with a list. Uh, not a whole lot is is striking me at the moment. Let me think about. Well, that it's good to know that the VPN can be turned off. Like if it's something super important that you're not willing to like get canceled or jump through hoops, and you could just turn it off under certain. If you have that, if you do it through the software route, that's helpful. Yeah, you can. You can. There's no real shut downside. It down. Right. Yeah. Now, now for me, I'm on I'm on these fraud lists for all kinds of reasons. First of all, it sees a VPN, and sometimes I'm using a Tor, and sometimes I, maybe I have two VPNs on, which I don't think it matters because it only detects the the uh, one on your router. Oh, right. Well, it, it detects one on your computer if you're using one oh. on your computer and your router. Oh. Um, but and I'm also using Linux. I only use Linux operating systems, uh, and sometimes I use uh, virtual uh, operating systems as well. So these are all flags. <laughs> and yeah. so I, I can imagine them looking at this and like, all right, that's a hacker. This guy is some North Korean hacker yeah. and he is going to mess us up. So he's out of there. Yeah. But for most people, you're not using Linux and you're not using a virtual operating right. system. You might not know what that means and you're not yeah. using Tor. So you might not encounter a lot of these if, uh, unless you go all the way. And hopefully by that point, it will be cleaned up a little bit. I sure hope so. Yeah. Because there's not a ton of options. But So you talk, I've heard you talk about... Um minimalism, but that doesn't sound minimalist. That sounds like a lot of stuff. Well, yes, the, the purchasing and downloading of a VPN like ProtonMail or ExpressVPN, you can do that right now uh, in five minutes and, and you're on your way. Um, dealing with some of the consequences, uh, I, I don't think, I, I don't want to give the impression that everywhere you go, you're getting a CAPTCHA. That's not at all the case. For the most part, it's it's fairly smooth sailing. So, um, but yeah, in, in terms of minimalism, um, I do see, so ch getting onto that topic, I do see similarities between, uh, minimalism and privacy. And, and this is why I talk about it. And that simply means when I talk about minimalism, minimalism, it means you're simply doing more things for yourself. You're not relying on external services. You're not relying on the government. You're not relying on a boss and, uh, employer who is going to demand all kinds of things from you these days. You're not relying or depending on the plumber or whoever else to come to your house and maybe collect some of your information. Um, you're not relying on all these other people. You are doing things yourself, and that is your only guarantee that uh, you can keep, hold on to your personal information. Um, and so a few examples, just you have fewer accounts, right? You don't need that account for YouTube. You just uh, approach it without being logged in. Um, you don't walk around all the time with your phone. You learn to live without it. You don't have the internet of things, IOT, uh, that kind of setup in your house. You just write on a list with pen and paper when you need something in your fridge instead of having a smart fridge. Um, you know, maybe you don't have a Fitbit uh, unless you're a, a, you know, a serious pro athlete. Uh, you don't have unnecessary gadgets that inevitably collect a lot of information. Um, so when you kind of have this minimalist mindset, you you tend to be more private uh, because privacy in the end is decentralization. It is uh, possessing and having your skills and your personal information that you're not putting out there into the world. Um, and so you're not being exposed. 
Well, I actually think that that's probably a healthy alternative to where we are anyway, in that, uh, yeah, maybe I like the idea that it's, it's kind of a philosophical change, which is how you started in the first place. Just say, stop giving out your information, like get into a different mindset and maybe also the mindset of I, I'm, I'm not always going to pursue most uh, the fastest, most facile way of doing things. And I actually was starting to think today how the, um, the division of labor, the way that we just, you've got a lawyer. I used to be an investment banker and I worked one time, I worked 40 hours in a row, not just 40 hours in a week. I would frequently, yeah, I would, I would work a hundred hours a week, like no problem. That was a normal thing to do. And, and, uh, now, I mean, I was super young then, but now, uh, if I were to do that, just sit in one place for 14 hours straight or whatever, like it would hurt. And, but I, I'm a mom, I do different things. And I thought this like hyper-focus, this, um, division of labor, it's really just to, you specialize a human computer, whatever we are, and you just wring the most out of that one thing that that particular unit can do so well. And it's in a way, it's a little dehumanizing and it's also not good for you for balance, for spiritual, emotional, physical, mental, psychological balance. These things that are really, really out of whack now that everybody started Zooming. And um, just again, as I, I'm not invulnerable anymore, I used to be young and like nothing bothered me, but now I learn how to, you know, I make a bone broth and it's got to be organic chickens and it takes like 12 hours because you don't even boil it. And, <laughs> and there's something about like, there was a slow food movement for a while. There's something about, um, about slowing down and getting real that is good for the soul. And it's also another source of security. Like what you're saying, like the privacy thing is a source of security, but when they lock down the world, you are really at their mercy if you don't know how to do anything for yourself. So I can, I think it's appropriate for people like, I know a lot of people who are, um, you know, leaning towards homesteading or agorism or just have a couple of chickens. And this, this, goes hand in hand with that. Yes, you don't have to disconnect completely. You don't have to refuse to avail yourself of some of the conveniences of modern life, but you can do it intelligently and selectively and at the same time actually have a richer experience. Maybe I'm getting a little too, uh, you know, woo-woo for you, but I think that it go, they all go together. No, you're, you're right. And look, I see privacy. I'm not one of these people who just kind of treats this as, as a game. All right, let's see if we can, uh, you know, have uh, crazy things happening on our devices so that we, um, anyway, there, there, there's a certain privacy person who is, who is just kind of playing a game. They're trying to uh, just really um, block out everything in the world. And, and for me, privacy is a process. It's important to talk about the details. It's a process and it's a means to an end. And the end is living a good life. And to comment on what you were saying there, I, th- I think we are shown all of these devices and the next best thing. And there's a sense that this is progress, but it's not always progress. Technology is not always progress. A lot of times it's regress. And I don't think we should be uh, afraid to say that to people that, um, okay, now you have a thing that uh, means you don't have to know something. Well, that's not exactly <laughs> progress. Sometimes, you know, I think it's T.S. Eliot says, 
where's the wisdom that we have lost in knowledge? And so this is not, this is not always about, it's not just that we're progressing all the time. The, everything we invented is just, is just progress. Um, Sometimes, and in many cases, and more often than we think, doing things with less, doing things with less uh, tech savvy options um, is, is perfectly fine. And it, it's, it's better for the soul. I was just, I just did an interview with a guy the other day who made a short film, which you can find on YouTube called In Shadow. And uh, I think some of your audience will probably have come across that. Now, that is a powerful thing about all the stuff that you just described, right? The rat race, escaping the rat race, uh, escaping consumer culture. It's a fabulous thing. I have an interview with him coming up. Uh, In Shadow is the video. And you're right that there are more important things. uh, And privacy um, is a means to an end. And it can can help you uh, towards that end. And actually, it might be a step that you can take sooner than chickens. I'm not sure I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I I think it'll be a while before I have some chickens, (laughs) but I might have a VPN at some point. Uh, so, okay. Get a VPN, uh, five minutes. Yes. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Just, uh, just go to, uh, uh, proton mail or, or express VPN or Moldad. And, uh, of course now let, let me say one more thing since we, we, uh, we're talking about VPNs now. It is important how you purchase these things, right? Because if you purchase a VPN with your credit card, there there is a trail uh, that leads back to you. Now, can that uh, compromise your um, your VPN account? I'm, I can't think immediately how that would do it, but uh, it's definitely in your interest to pay for things privately. So, for example, uh, Moldad lets you pay with cash. You can send your cash all the way over to Sweden to Moldad, and they will... So the way it works is you go to Moldad, you get an account um, and they say, okay, here's your number, send us cash. And then you send the cash and then you just check it, you know, you keep checking it and you'll get a year or two years or whatever subscription once they process it. In Sweden? They don't even let you use cash in Sweden. (laughs) That's true. It's it's one of the, it's one of the countries that is uh, seriously cracking down on cash, but uh, no, it, it, it is a Swedish company. I'm pretty sure Moldad. It sound, kind of sounds wow. Swedish. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I I did that and 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 it worked. Wow. And that way you don't you don't have an email address that you gave them. Uh, you don't have uh, any financial trail. Nothing. You just you sent them your U.S. dollars or whatever, and you got the service. So you don't have to do that with Moldad. That's an extreme example. You can pay yeah. for a lot of these things though with with cryptocurrency. Uh, oh. They a lot of them will accept uh, Bitcoin. Maybe some accept Monero. So that can be a route, assuming that your crypto was um is not attached to your name which is another i literally had to take a picture of my driver's license to start my wallet and i I was like i thought this was supposed to be anonymous so i guess i did that wrong you know you know i'm saying like you have to take a picture of yourself holding your driver's license like i'm not kidding and what what was this about a uh a digital currency that was supposed to uh defeat the tax mongering nation state oh yeah I never fell for that for one second. I was like, this is a this is a gateway to a cashless society. What are you talking about? Of course, if I hadn't been that way, maybe I'd own some. I have some now, but it's that well, ship now, now to be sense. fair, now to be fair, I, I do talk about and I'm actually working on with a with a financial a, the a radical uh, finance podcaster on how to acquire cryptocurrencies privately. Um, and so that is a possibility. Now that is the way they're intended to. You're you're not intended to get a Coinbase account, give them yes. all of your information. It's pirate. And, 
Pirate coin, right? Arg. Well, I'm saying that you can get uh, you can get Bitcoin with oh. uh, without an attachment to your name. Of course, you have these other things yeah. like uh, Pirate Chain, like Monero, yes, which yes. regardless of how you uh, acquire them, um, whatever you use them for next is hidden because their blockchains are hidden. Um, but the the thing about these privacy coins and all the coins out there is who accepts them. I don't know very many people who accept a lot of these. In fact, I know very few businesses or people that accept Bitcoin. And so that's why I tend to say, look, let's start. If we're interested in this, let's start with Bitcoin and we can always get these thing, these 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 other ones. But Bitcoin, to the extent that these are accepted at all, uh, is going to be the one accepted. So, yes, yes. Um, or maybe I don't know if you want to talk about cryptocurrency privacy right now. We could. I can no, I no, I um, I. That would definitely be a topic for another time, but it usually hijacks the entire time allotted. So I want to get kind of bigger picture because I have heard you. I think obviously you have a philosophical bent and I have heard you talk about psychopaths. And I don't know if you if you mean the people who are trying to run the world or people who um, maybe you may be vulnerable to if you don't pursue privacy. What do you mean by that? Well, let me ask you this, Monica. Could you define a psychopath if I ask you? What do you think well, a psychopath is? Well, I can try. Uh, I Go feel ahead. like, I, if I recall correctly, I think uh, maybe it's a sociopath, but someone who basically does not have a conscience. Right, exactly, yes. So my understanding is that a psychopath and a sociopath are, are the same. And yeah. that's information that I get from a really fascinating book which is a serious red pill book called Without Conscience, The Disturbing World of Psychopaths Among Us by uh, uh, Robert Hare. Now, that is a spine chilling book. That's what started me. That's what started me along this path of investigating psychopaths. So a psychopath is, you're right, or a sociopath is somebody who, um, it seems for reasons of biology, uh, does not have a conscience, right? Does not have the ability to have empathy. Now you say, okay, well, that's bad, but how bad is that? Well, you can't have the non-aggression principle if you don't have empathy because you can't imagine somebody else who has rights and interests and values. Right. You can't have the golden rule if you don't have empathy. You can't have the social contract. You can't have any of these things. Psychopaths, and uh, there's another uh, uh, lady who, who wrote a book called The Sociopath Next Door. Yes, uh, yes, Martha I've seen Stout. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she says that uh, in her language, let's see here, um, that a psychopath um, has altered processing of emotional stimuli at the level of the cerebral cortex. In other words, mm. this is a biological phenomenon. There have been empirical studies that have showed that psychopaths compared to normal people uh, do, do not associate uh, emotional words, um, do not have a, a different uh, sense of emotional words compared to regular words. Um, Sorry, that was a little bit confusing. So uh, when going through different words, the emotional words are supposed to spark something in normal people, and they do. But with psychopaths, that's not the case. They, all, they also did a study where um, they lined people up to give them, administer a shock. And the regular people, in anticipation, uh, their heart rate went up, all this kind of stuff. For psychopaths, nothing. There was no change. So these are biologically different creatures wearing human faces. I'm intended to think if one were to think theologically that these are not actually, um, these people do not have souls, um, wow. is how I would put it. And their interest, Monica, is exploiting people in power, in harming people. 
because that's the only enjoyment. When you don't have conscience, when you don't have empathy, that's the only thing left is the ascent to power. So it makes sense that while psychopaths are about 2% of the population, which is a pretty that's shocking. a lot of high, people. Yeah, you go into your local Safeway and there's a psychopath in there. Um, uh, but Right, that's uh, but, one so, in 50 people. Right, so 2%, but they contribute to 50% of serious crimes. Hmm. So now here's here's the thing, Monica. Psychopaths- now, how, did, how did, would you know that? How are they diagnosed with that? I just am curious because you do seem well, to have- Yes, well, the, these, these, are, these are statistics that I've I've gathered from the books that I've described. Right, okay. Um, and so they, they've run these tests. I, you know, I guess I, I yeah. trust them to that extent. But, yeah. um, and they, you know- a huge percentage of the prison population is psychopaths. So if you want to, right. Okay. Yes. That, that would be a way. Yeah. Um, but okay. So the big picture here. So if that is, if that is who you are, you're a psychopath, your interest is in power control. Um, there's some interesting kind of theorizing about the psychopathic mind. They're endlessly bored, right? They're endlessly bored. They need stimulation. They tend to, uh, go after drugs and, and, and violence and sex and all these kind of things, but they also end up in corporations, they also end up in government because these are natural places for their personalities. Yeah, and think about this: we applaud people sometimes for making that tough decision, right? Um, somebody had to make the decision to drop the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? Uh, we have to put aside the emotional stuff and make the decision, or yeah, other kind of situations. Now, I'm not saying that the the people who did that specific thing were psychopaths, but you can see all kinds of examples. Now, Hitler's I don't know if Hitler was a psychopath, but I believe that the people immediately underneath them, Himmler and such, probably were. Stalin may have been a psychopath. These are people who, when they're in positions of power, can contribute to the alteration of history, right? So anyway, that, that's kind of just have, a snapshot. Have of you ever read Report from Iron Mountain? Uh, I don't think so. What, what's that? It's a really short, it's like 80 or 90 pages. It was a bestseller in the 60s. It supposedly was, now, it either was or it was reflected something that was a bunch of inter-discipline um, experts, economists, historians, psychologists, stuff like that, got together and they wrote and, and they did this study and the book was called uh, on uh, the desirability and possibility of peace. So they were trying to figure out they needed a substitute for war in order to structure society. And they go through all the possibilities. They say what war is good for. And like one of the things they say, and I feel like this is how the pandemic is one of the substitutes for war that they said they weren't going to mention because they wanted to actually use them, that the problem with war is, although it does kill a lot of people, which they want, it kills the strongest. Like they don't want to kill fit 18 year old men. They want to kill old people or sick people. And if only they could find a substitute for war that did that. And the entire thing reads like it was written by a group of absolute sociopaths. <laughs> and uh, you might find it interesting in that regard. Well, that, that's I just. I just found my my uh, nighttime reading. So yeah, I mean, there's a PDF online. You can just whip right through it. I have an original copy, but the PDF is pretty close to it. I mean, there are a couple of typos, but that's it. And uh, wow, so so that's how you think that this is this is all that way? Because I do also remember seeing as the internet evolved, 
I did a show and I had a regular radio show and it was probably 10 years ago now. And the show I titled it is the internet, a limited hangout. And I was like, Oh my gosh, the internet is two pipes. It's a pipe of you giving them your information and a pipe of them giving you your information uh, of the, sorry, of them giving you the information that you want. That's making you trust this pipe because all of a sudden you're finding all of this information that you never would have known before about false flags and all this kind of stuff. And then there was a certain point where they were trying to do CISPA and SOPA, which were two different bills, one that was going to allow censorship and the other that was going to allow total surveillance. And I felt like they want to control both pipes. They want the one pipe, the surveillance pipe, to just shoot directly to them. And they wanted the information down to us to be totally controlled by them. And I I saw that coming, and then it's no surprise then that the internet was created by DARPA. So it was a it was a Defense Department process. And there's a book called Surveillance Valley, which traces it back really to I think the Vietnam War, and and the origins of the internet there. You might be interested in that book too. Uh, but yeah, so so do you in your worldview feel like? Um, that was that was where this attack on privacy started, or how do you think of it that way? How do you fold in what you're saying about the nature of these people in power and and how privacy is something that's directly correlated with that? Yeah, that's that's interesting. What what you've been saying, I I don't I haven't looked into a lot of that stuff, and I, I would have to um, in terms of. I guess, are you suggesting that the information that we have at our disposal through the internet, which which we think is um, giving us a, a fountain of, of, of truths, that that is manipulated in some way? Is that kind of what you're suggesting? I think what I'm saying is that the internet was a limited hangout. So the internet, it, it's like, here's a better, here's an example I make it clear. They, the, back in the day, so let's just say entertainment was a, um, um, uh, like movies were meant at, to shape culture. So the governments and CIA and those kind of elements have always been in the propaganda business. This is the propaganda report. That's propaganda. And it comes in the form of movies, television, lots of stuff like that. And um, well, it, entertainment yeah. means uh, if you break it down to its Latin roots, it means to take hold of the mind. Oh, and government. Government means control. mind control. Yes. Yes. Wow. Now, somebody challenged me on that. They said that, well, meant is the suffix. Okay, yes, that's true, but meant as in mental also can mean mind. Right. So yes. entertainment to take hold of the mind, government, mind control. Yeah. Well, that's what I think they were doing. And the little towns back in the fifties or whatever were savvy to it. They were quote conservative and they didn't want movie theaters in their towns because they knew it was bad for their their kids. And then, because it was it was a hard time getting those movie theaters in every town across the country, they imposed censorship rules. So before that, you can watch old, old, old movies where they, it's it's more risque. And then for a long time, for a couple of decades, they had censorship rules, which basically convinced those small towns that it was safe to bring movies there. Movies were wholesome; they could actually be used for good. They would be entertaining. It would be a place for people to go to the movie theater and um, go into the square and all this. And then after they were basically in every single solitary town, then all of a sudden 
the shirts come off and uh, you have not, these, it's then it becomes uh, exactly what they were worried about in the first place, a way to kind of corrupt the values. And similarly with the internet, they wanted it total adoption, I believe. So they, they let it freewheel. And there's this one generation, as I see it, like my mom is Fox News. My kids are uh, on their, um, in their little silos. They don't even know that truth used to be on the internet. They think I'm crazy for, for seeing all these false flags inside jobs. But my generation so, who saw this, the internet really um, blossom was able to deconstruct a lot of the false flags that kind of keep the narratives and the myths going that control society. And they, but they shut that down. I actually remember the day it happened was February 14th, 2018, when they had the Parkland shooting at the school down there. I used to be able to find the truth on something like that in a minute. Like I could just figure out how to get it. People would upload their videos and you could find them right away. Nothing. There was nothing there. And then six months later, I got taken down from WordPress. So I, and it was, it was a similar thing. I was exposing a false flag and I was gone. So uh, I'm just saying that I feel like they put it out there to get us all hooked. And then they took the, took away the information piece that we were benefiting from but by then, the attack on our privacy, the infrastructure to almost like a parasite was already placed. And and here we are. We're dependent on it. We've put everything on it. We trusted it. We engaged with it. And and I think they leveled up with this Zoom thing where you can't even go to school. Like every single solitary thing that you say is now like everything you learn in class is now if they wanted to capture it, they could capture it all. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate I appreciate the uh, the skepticism. Of course, anytime I uh, anytime I, I hear things like this, and it is important to realize that. Um, see, here's another way of putting it, or uh, maybe maybe a different kind of um, philosophical way to to approach it is that a lot of people are so obsessed with what they call privacy these days that they don't they don't go out anywhere. They they huddle around their computer, <laughs> and they they do everything on their computer, and they think that's privacy when what is the internet it is the connection of your computer to every other computer on earth that's what i mean that's what the internet is yeah and so yeah. um if you want privacy you do have to stay as much away from the internet as you can stomach it's useful but you should you can and should go out into the real world do some journalism uh go investigate things in person um find find the truth through your own senses so that I guess is that's a what good I'd say. point that's a great point. So uh, actually, in since we're talking about that, there were a few other things I want to talk to you about, but I want to step into this for a sec. So I was, because I was engaging in this information exchange, I, I mean, I'm not fully canceled, but I lost my radio show. I lost my WordPress site, which was a lot of work. Well, tell me. me about your WordPress. How did, how did WordPress, I thought WordPress was, was free open source software. Uh, I don't know, but there's, there is, I know that there, you can use the WordPress stuff, but I was using right. the WordPress company uh, and okay. I was giving them $99 or whatever it was for a business okay. plan. Yeah. And it was, but when they canceled me, which they really tricked me into it, they said, somebody complained about something you posted we have defended people who have done exactly what you did. You had the fair use right to post that picture. And these are cases that we have fought for our people. These are the laws they're based on. We don't think you need to take this down. 
And then they took it all down, like the next week or whatever, they took everything down of mine, everything, not that picture, but everything. And I just, somebody gave me a clue, like, you can get that back. Like they, they put it into a file. Like if you do this, that, and the other thing, you, you have a week to get it. So I did, but it was just the text and all my media, all the formatting, everything was gone. Ooh. I'm not super tech savvy. So it right. really, I never even went back to, I used to blog all the time and I just was so disheartened by it that, um, but yeah, I was just using the service because I, I just, I knew I wasn't doing anything wrong and I, and I wasn't. Right. Now, yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about cancel culture then, because I have some thoughts on how people can protect themselves. So, um, in in that case, you were relying on I think it's WordPress.com instead of WordPress.org, um, because yeah. what I tend to tell people is, look, be aware of your vulnerabilities. If you have a Squarespace website, guess who owns your website? It's Squarespace. If you have a um, uh, an account on whatever. Who owns that stuff? Well, it's it's kind of them, right? They kind of have control over that. So try to find partners who are not, who have very little control. So for example, I tend I do tend to tell people actually get a WordPress.org website because that is an inert piece of software um, who nobody owns, the WordPress.org. Um, so that can be useful. I have, for example, Monica recently set up some websites where they can basically never be shut down. And I, I didn't give any information to make them. So let me kind of walk you through how you might do that. You have your WordPress website. You do have to rely on, on some plugins, which I suppose they could cancel you, but you could move on to uh, another plugin. So you have your WordPress. That's kind of the, the, the building blocks of your website. That is open source free software. So um, WordPress.org cannot cancel you. Now you have to have a host. Uh, there are, well, I'll just say it. there's a company called Ninjala and it's plenty of people use it and it's run by anarchists and they don't comply with the ICANN. Wow. Uh, they don't, they basically uh, treat it as a joke. And so they will host your website and give you a domain as well. And you can pay them in Monero if you wanted to. And so you can have a website with no attachment to your name. Nobody knows that nobody can see any connection to you and you have a website up that's fairly resilient as well. Could so, I can undermine them? Well, that's like a good question. Entity? Like that's a good question. I've been meaning to do some research and, and maybe a, an episode on ICANN. And what I do love is some of these crypto people who are, who are uh, pursuing an alternatives to ICANN with, with these uh, like uh, uh, crypto uh, URLs crypto domains. That's an interesting thing. I, I, I was trying to talk to somebody from, I think it's called Unstoppable Domains, um, which is one of those. I've been meaning to talk to them, but I don't know what the ICANN can exactly do. Yeah. Uh, I was actually, I've been in touch with the guy who, who runs Ninjala and I said, look, I need to talk to you. Be on my podcast. And uh, it, it uh, I, I should email him again. He was interested, but he, he didn't follow up. Um, but I don't know what the ICANN can do. But in practice, I've not heard of them uh, going after an organization like like Ninjala, and there are other companies out there. There's there are other host providers where you can you can pay in cryptocurrency if you want, and and at any rate, they are less likely to take you down. Some of these are based in Romania or Iceland, so they have some some better privacy laws sometimes, and certainly they don't uh, they aren't going to cancel you like maybe an Amer an American company would cancel you or go after you. 
So these are some ways to be resilient. So are you saying that I was on WordPress as a service and I didn't, and that's, that, that's my guess. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, uh, so I had two more questions for you. I know we're getting on. Uh, oh, it's fine. Um, I'm happy. To, I'm happy to uh, go for a little bit longer. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. So I did want to ask you the, have you noticed this push towards telemedicine? And I wonder if you have any thoughts on that, if it's, you know, a plot or just to be avoided or, or what would you ever use it? Yeah. So telemedicine, basically the, you would normally go to the doctor's office, but uh, these days, especially if you live in somewhere, maybe like the People's Republic of California, um, you <laughs> you might not be able to easily get to the doctor. So sometimes it's necessary, right? Sometimes it's necessary. Of course, I would tell here. Let, let me let me go back to first principles, Monica. Right? Uh, just as general advice, and then I'll speak directly to you. So um, we can differentiate. First of all, uh, there's this. People talk about healthcare. It's not healthcare. It's medical mm -hmm. care. Right? <laughs> Health is what you do with your own body. Um, it is a fact, or at least I've come across this statistic, that doctors only spend in their whatever decade long of uh, of study about 14 hours talking about nutrition and, and diet. Right? Or nothing. That, I, had a, I had a friend who was nothing. a doctor and I asked her something like that. And she said, oh, we didn't, they didn't teach us nutrition. And exactly. Right. So, so the, these people, uh, and there's another interesting book, I think it's called Dead Doctors Don't Lie. And his kind of initial observation is that Doctors actually live shorter lives than the average person. Um, and he says, so uh, So anyway, my, my point in saying that is um, uh, if you, it's pretty obvious what fosters good health, right? You don't eat a lot of calories and you eat a lot of vegetables and you exercise. And if you do all these things, you will have fewer trips to the doctor and you will therefore have fewer uh, potential exposures. Okay. So that's, that's just kind of my first principles pitch. Um, Have you ever heard there are four things that cause disease? Toxins, toxins, radiation, right. stress, and poor nutrition. Okay, there you go. And speaking of toxins, there's there's some good books out there. I'm, I'm going to do an episode. My next episode, I think, will be on um, how to keep out these various toxins from your body, oh, kind of bodily excellent. privacy. There's a good book out there. It's that out there is called uh, Estro Generation. Um, and he talks about a lot of this stuff. Another one called uh, Countdown by a lady named Swan. Uh, the subtitle is How Our Modern World is Threatening Sperm Counts, Altering Male and Female Reproductive Development, and Imperiling the Future of the Human Race. Boy, um, this that's this year too has been, I think, largely focused on that. Yeah. So so anyway, of course, if you do, if you pursue health as a actual health and not kind of treating the symptoms, then you will have fewer trips to the doctor. Now, let's say you do have to go to the doctor. Of course, if you can go there in person, that's better than being on uh, an online software with all of the uh, risks of online software and, and the problem with online software and your doctor will always tell you, they'll always say, look, give us your information. We will protect it, right? We have good cybersecurity, this and that. Well, maybe it is and maybe it isn't, but even the best software gets compromised at some point. And I'll tell you that I have seen, and I can in just a few clicks here, get to databases millions and billions of items of information about people that is just floating on the internet, including Monica, including pictures of operated body parts. Okay. These are the kind of things that doctors take. I'm not, oh, just to be clear, I'm not searching for these things. <laughs> you are a hacker, Gabriel. <laughs> but no, like this stuff is, this stuff is just actually publicly there. available. And what happens, Monica, is 
they have all these software systems and there's so many third parties, right? Just one website, the amount of third party integration is enormous. And all of those third party pieces of the software have their own employees who might make a mistake, have their own vulnerabilities. And so that's why I say something is online, you're kind of in trouble already. Uh, and so go to the doctor in person if you can. Now, let's say that you can't. Okay. So you give the doctor, of course, the minimal amount of information. Um, if you are, if this is Medicare or Medicaid in the U.S., then you have to give out certain information, such as a social security number. Otherwise, you're not required. My understanding is to give a social security number. So uh, make a stink about that sort of thing. I never give a social security number, uh, or uh, I tell my American clients never to give out a social security number for basically anything except uh, except tax uh, reasons and. I guess, Medicare, Medicaid, that kind of thing. Um, okay, so you're doing your telemedicine, uh, just some basic things. Uh, be careful about what the room look, looks like, right? Um, don't have bottles or pills oh or God, wow. make sure that yeah. your room is in disrepair or have somebody screaming in the background. I mean, this right. is a doctor. They have certain uh, authority. Gosh, um, yeah. So wow. you might even actually turn off the, uh, the visual uh, if you just yeah. need to talk to them in audio, that's what I always do. Um, consider nice. no no video. Um, and you can ask them, just say, look, are you going to record this? Especially if they right. start recording it, where are you going to store it? Uh, and kind of tell them, look, I would prefer if it were stored in something more secure than, you know, Google Documents. And you can give them some recommendations like pCloud, Tresorit, um, just kind of search for a, a zero knowledge but if they say provider. they're not recording it, do you personally feel worried that someone somewhere is grabbing all that stuff out of the air? Uh, no, no, not necessarily. So you no. feel like you, you, it would be a little too far to be paranoid about the possibility that even if you're certain they're not recording it, that it is recorded somewhere by some unknown entity. That's, yeah, this, that's yeah. not likely in your opinion. Yeah, see, the, the thing about Zoom and the thing about you don't know what's happening on their computer, first of all, maybe maybe it's yeah. just recording the, the screen and audio uh, and it's not even telling you on, say, Zoom. So anyway, so, of course, Monica, health comes before privacy, but it is uh, it is wise to think about these things before they happen. I was, for example, last year, I had to pick up somebody in the emergency room and I arrived there and they said, look, give me your ID. And I was so flustered and they took yeah. the ID and they scanned it. They scanned oh my it. gosh. Um, and this, you, Gabriel, you, you? well, uh, it, me. And so look, yes. I was, I walked in, I was flustered. I was, you know, I wasn't about to walk out of there because, uh, you, you know, this person I thought, I thought had died a few hours earlier. And there I was going to help them out, pick them up. Um, but so it is important. The point being, it's important to think about what you're willing to give out and not what you are going to see on the forums when you go to certain offices um, and just ask questions, make a stink, um, tell them that you're not willing to do X, Y, and Z and just leave things blank um, and refuse and tell them, okay, you can see my ID, but you're not going to scan it. Uh, things of this nature. And that's kind of- That I do, um, yeah, I've done that. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to, the last thing I wanted to ask you is I, I wanted to get a sense if you wouldn't mind sharing why, what got you interested in this topic and why you put effort into sharing it? I mean, I feel like 
most podcasters aren't doing it to make a living, although maybe you are, and that there's some something that caught your attention or some driving force. And I also want you to tell people what it is that you um, are doing and how they can access it. Sure. I'll start with that. I have the podcast, the Watchman Privacy Podcast. It's available everywhere uh, until Spotify and and then ban it, of course. Um, and I have a, a book, a guide, the Watchman Guide to Privacy. It's available on Amazon. It's a deal with the devil, yes. Um, but <laughs> you, but Amazon lets you self-publish, which means you don't have to go through a publishing company. And that, in my opinion, is worth it. Um, but so there's that guide. And basically, it's just a guide talking about everything I've talked about, but a little bit more articulate, articulately um, and in progression. And we, it's just a holistic privacy guide, digital privacy, phone privacy, physical privacy, financial privacy. That's my longest chapter. Um, and privacy for the upcoming socioeconomic collapse, which kind of shows you how I see the 2020s yes. playing out. But well, with the inflation numbers and $30 trillion debt, I think this cannot be resolved within the system as we see it. I mean, that is just not going to, yeah. that's unsustainable. Well, and my last two episodes were on economic crisis. So, go, you know, go, oh, go check those interesting. out. Interesting. Um, yeah. So, so it's good to date stamp it now that we are talking on February 10th, 2022. So you go back to his last couple of episodes and because that is very interesting to me. Well, and and what it shows is that I'm not just one of these people who is talking about, oh, you know, here's how to change your settings on your iPhone for the hundredth mm -hmm. time. I'm interested in first principles. I'm interested, I love that. as I said from the beginning, in understanding privacy in its most um, in its deepest philosophical depth. And I do talk about the practical things, make no mistake. But we also talk about why privacy is important. I have a good chapter in my book, just arguments uh, about why privacy is important. And we take a look at all the things happening in the world, not just now, but historically. Um, and so that's kind of what separates me from a lot of people talking about privacy is I am I'm looking at the big picture um, and I'm not just kind of neurotically in the moment talking about, OK, you changed these 5000 settings and now you you've hidden that one message from that one person. That that is so interesting to me because and maybe you can make me feel better. I couldn't feel worse about it. So that we look back in history and I can you can see that this has basically always been a war of man against man, of us versus them, of who can dominate the most people and get them to work the land and give you, you know, a larger share of the grain from the beginning of civilization, if not even before that. And and eventually these civilizations do collapse and humanity marches on. But right now there are two factors that make me worry that this is a, a total, this is just a, a game changer. One is the fact that these vaccines, which are being given basically to everyone or they're attempting to give them to everybody, uh, have genetic elements to it. So to the extent that these are genetic alterations that could at some point be passed on, I mean, especially the DNA ones, those viral vector ones, they say they don't know if they engage in gene transduction or simply gene induction, or they say it doesn't um, affect the cell line. But I don't know, maybe, maybe this, this generation doesn't, but they're getting us used to the fact that future ones would, and that actually might fundamentally change human beings. And the other thing is, I feel that, and I've thought this for a long time, that, that, the, that the technology, the total surveillance technology is such that we may never be able to 
resist because we have no privacy to to mount a resistance. And I wonder if if you are are I, I doubt you're hopeless or you wouldn't be doing this, but if you could address that, I would be interested in how you think about it. Oh yeah, it's all it's all over, Monica. Let's uh let's back up. <laughs> no, of course, of course I am uh I am optimistic and I do think that um well, here's here's one thing that uh, here's another way that I tell people to look at the big picture of privacy. You can go, you can live in a country these days. Uh, fairly simply, you can go live in a country that has a weaker government that is not as globalist that it, that doesn't have all the things that you that you want it not to have. Um, you can go live there, right? A lot of people are flocking to Mexico. Um, a lot of people, like every other person I know, seems to be going to Mexico yeah. because Mexico has a in practice weak very weak government and their yeah. uh their president i believe is kind of outspoken against vaccines and 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 things of the sort so the world is your oyster you can live where you want you can if you find yourself as uh andrew henderson nomad capitalist says he says if you find yourself hoarding guns and ammo maybe the place you live is not treating you best <laughs> that is a good point i so, hoard food yeah yeah. So, and, and nothing wrong with that. I mean, of course, if you were hoarding during the uh, COVID lockdowns at the at the beginning, you could you could be doxxed and arrested and harassed for no one would uh, want buying the things. boxes of gluten free dried food that I have. There's <laughs> well, apps. I don't even. Want. I think I might would starve to death before I ate it. But yeah. So anyway. no, I I think that uh, everybody should do their part. Uh, one thing I didn't talk about, which is what I usually pitch, everybody, please give up the credit cards and pay in cash as much as you can. Um, get uh, out of various systems. Um, start learning how things like the internet and, and these kind of things work. Just start somewhere. And there's a few things that I didn't mention, Monica, um, in terms of both seeing seeing the using privacy techniques to see the world a little bit more clearly and to escape cancel culture. Of course, uh, YouTube get off of YouTube however you can get on BitChute, get on Odyssey. We just started Rumble. a channel on Rumble. Nice. Yeah. Some of these alternatives. Um, use alternatives to Google search. Use um, DuckDuckGo. Or I find that the Russian search engine Yandex actually gets you some oh, how do you spell results. Y A N D E X. Yeah. So the, Russia is one of those interesting countries where. Um, and I had somebody tell me this, that Russia is really the the most anti-globalist place out there, is kind of how he phrased it. And I was thinking about yeah. it. But they're trying to get away from the SWIFT system, which is where yeah. a lot of the transactions are going through. They're, they're, they're trying to separate themselves from, from a lot of different global systems. Now, do I want to be the subject of Vladimir Putin? Not necessarily. But yeah, uh, the culture, I think I might have a culture clash. I've been to Russia a couple <laughs> of times and I did like they that somebody came out with a boom box and I don't know what they were doing, breakdancing or something. And like in one second flat, there were cops all over that cleaned it right up. It was as it was wow. like out of a sci-fi movie. And I'm not a big fan of totalitarian dictatorship, but I am also not, not a big fan of public music. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, just this once. No, but I don't I don't think I would do very well in Russia because most things that I wanted, well, in this country anyway, you know, I, I, I'm, I value my freedom and I need it. So I don't think I would be okay over there, but I did like that. I thought that was funny. 
Yeah. And one more thought just on, on Russia is that Edward Snowden is supposedly in Russia and he has no access to bank accounts, as you can imagine, uh, certainly for the rest of his life. And so he torrents stuff. Right. And I don't believe he's in Russia. I think he's he's let, in Langley. Let's, let's say <laughs> let's say <laughs> let's say the hypothetical Edward Snowden is. Yes, 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 yes. Now, um, so no, no bank accounts. He would be somebody in his position would be torrenting everything. Now, Russia is a great place to torrent because Russia oh. does not when I say torrent. Uh, you know what I mean? Right. Just Bit torrent. I don't know. Yes. Yes. You you basically uh, download copyrighted and non copyrighted things straight to your computer. Um, and so he would be doing that, somebody in his position. And Russians do that a lot. So do Indians because they don't have the same access to global markets. Um, and I'm not advocating this. I have a I have an episode on this, by the way, and I and I uh, clear it more on moral grounds. You can watch that if you want. But if somebody wanted to get things very privately, one could have access to pretty much any book, any movie, uh, all kinds of things through torrenting. And it really is one of the great systems of freedom. You were talking about how can you be sure or, or how can you have access to things if, if you were cut off? Well, torrenting uh, is a fabulous way to hypothetically oh. uh, have access to all these things. Now, you have to take precautions, okay? Uh, use a VPN uh, at all times when when torrenting. But this is a fabulous way to get things with no trace, right? There are some things, Monica, Somebody, that I would uh, not want to buy uh, with, with yeah. any trail to me. Uh, wow, interesting. I could hypothetically get them from a torrent. A listener gave me a thumb drive full of stuff and he told me that I should access it through, it's a thing that has a little, like a traffic, like a construction cone as a symbol. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah. VLC media player. Yeah. Is that private? Well, VLC is a great piece of open source uh, software. Just to let you play various media, anything you throw out at uh, video, audio. So um, uh, why would he suggest that? I guess, yeah, I, I guess that would be I if know. if video players were uh, hypothetical. See, that's the thing with all software is that what are they sending back to the mothership, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's why I tell people get away. We, did, we didn't discuss this, but get away from software as a service. Get away from proprietary oh, yes. software. Mm -hmm. Use open source software. So when why? you use something like, well, the reason you want to do that is because if it's open source, you know what's going on behind the scenes, or you can trust the community that they know what's going on. Let's compare, for example, let's let's use a comparison. Let's compare uh, Microsoft 365, their always online uh, software program, versus LibreOffice, which is an open source uh, piece of software that I run on my Linux computers. Similar product. Okay, you don't have all the convenience with LibreOffice. It doesn't sync to the cloud and all this, but Microsoft can't see every letter that you type and every letter that you delete, right? And they don't have ownership and access to your documents at all times. And they can't cancel you if you break the Microsoft service agreement, which says that if you use hateful language, they can shut down your account. So that's the difference between proprietary, always online software and free open source software. And, and I have another recent episode on why free open source software is vital to privacy. And all my episodes are short and to the point. I don't waste time. Uh, so. And is this a labor of love or did you, I just, I still want to know what, what motivates you? Uh, well, 
I would say that I enjoy doing it. I enjoy researching these things and I enjoy helping people, but it is, I mean, I get, I get money. Yeah. You'd like to, um, a, but what made you choose this? Like what gave this, right. why is this your passion? Well, I think that, and this is advice for anybody who wants to get out of the rat race and, and kind of start their own thing. You have to carve out your own niche, of course, and you have to do something a little bit different. And for me, I don't know. I, I became interested in privacy like anyone else, uh, maybe particularly around the, the, the Snowden revelations. And I, I just kind of thought about it and realized, OK, why is privacy so important? Why don't I practice this and live this lifestyle and then tell people how to do it? Because it's not the end goal for me. Privacy is not the end goal. Freedom, uh, living, living well is the end goal. But privacy certainly helps. Not enough people are talking about it. And the people who are talking about it are surprisingly somehow Marxist. Uh, trying to hide, <laughs> trying to hide from Facebook because we know how many people Facebook killed uh, in the last century, um, or they are kind of, well, the the big guy in the in the privacy uh, arena does not talk about radical things like I talk about. I have anarchists on my podcast. We have people who were almost killed from creating self sustainable sea pods that were uh, sovereign wow. nations. Um, we talk about torrenting. We talk about all kinds of of radical stuff, and that's what like. Privacy is political. It is a political act. Uh, and I don't treat it as anything but that. And so that's mm. kind of what, what differentiates me from some of these other people who are um, mechanics. doing mechanics. They're talking about important stuff, yes. But um, I thought I could talk about it in a, a different radical way. And I think I am. And we'll see where it goes. I absolutely love that because there's real value. It's something that is important. It's something that you put in the time to master. And then you can allow other people to leverage from your insights and experiences without having to reinvent the wheel. And as I like to say for my, like my subscriptions that you could probably get a month of my stuff for less than an hour of your work after taxes. Like you could, for all the benefit of the work that I do, you could probably get that in uh, in less than an hour. And I bet that's true for you too, because I'm just about to buy that book on Amazon of yours. And uh, I doubt it's going to cost me very much. Yeah, I think it's $17.99 on Amazon or $9.99 for Kindle. But yeah, you're right that there's never been more ways to earn money without uh, you know going to your day job. Because when you factor in your day job, all of the exposure, of course, and privacy, but um, the, uh, the commute and the stress and the fact that you have essentially one client, your boss, who can shut you off at any time, that's not a very resilient system. And you have to buy all the clothes and you have to uh, get ready every morning. This is not, this doesn't make sense. Have your own business. This is another privacy and freedom technique. Find your own business, find a way to make money from people. You'll figure out that you don't have to make out as much money as you did, that you now have something called business expenses, which are, yes, a, yes. Which are a real game changer. I don't think a lot of people realize that business people don't really pay taxes. Uh, well, I mean, if well, you get a salary, you do, but if you have an right. entrepreneur, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I get if revenue, you, you have I have a, expenses and I have to pay taxes yeah. on the difference for right. sure. If you have a single member LLC, which is kind of, kind of yeah. the route that I'm advocating single member LLC, it's just you. Um, then suddenly you realize are you, that, are you married, Gabriel? Uh, I you don't have to that. answer that question. Sorry, that's a private question. I'm that's just fine. saying sometimes your LLC isn't single, isn't a single member. Sometimes like other people's income really can screw up your whole oh, whatever. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But uh, 
but what was I going to say? Oh, I nearly got through this whole thing with the self-discipline to not mention Ted Kaczynski, but I, I can't, I have to, I just, a lot of things of what you said remind me of him. And I don't know if you've ever read technological slavery. It's basically the manifesto that he had published. And although he's completely tainted because he killed people, but uh, he did have an interesting um, concept, which was this power principle of four things that kind of human beings need. They need to do something important. Um, it needs to be kind of hard. They have to do it. Um, they have to be able to do it to achieve the goal and they need to have autonomy. So that's how you get satisfied. And I really feel like working like in a corporation and that hyper-specialization of labor, because it doesn't satisfy those requirements, that is where all the stress comes from. You're totally, you're responsible for something, but you don't really have the authority or autonomy to kind of make the call and be like, okay, I'm going to accept the consequence of this. The consequences of somebody brutalizing you for what you think is not a good reason. So I, I do find that structure very, very stressful and the more real value that people like you can add, the more I like to uh, benefit from that. So I appreciate what you're doing. And well, is there anything did, else you want to tell people again? Well, uh, one question. Did you really just end the podcast with a words of wisdom from, from the Unabomber? <laughs> Sorry. Do you want to, <laughs> you know, do, do you want to know how he messed up by the way? By killing people? Well, besides that, I mean, how, okay. he, was, how he exposed, how? Uh, we'll, we'll save that for next time. Oh, because he revealed himself. Well, for one, apparently he was uh, when he when he sent out his uh, his messages, people could tell that he was from Chicago based on his uh, verbal tics. Wow. Yeah. And they say his brother recognized it and turned right. him in. And right. then, wow, that's interesting. Yeah. No, I'm not an advocate. I also read his um, don't a kill biography. People, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, don't, don't, don't coerce people. against others. And don't, but he was a, a victim of what appears to have been an MK Ultra experiment. I don't know if you know. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. he was the youngest person to be admitted to Harvard at that time. Until that time, he was like 16, and they played a horrible experiment on him and some other vulnerable people where they had him write a thesis and defend it in front of upperclassmen. And then they told the upperclassmen to brutalize him and to criticize him and tear him apart. And really, and it like, Something that it made made him extremely antisocial. I mean, he was a math professor at Berkeley. He just right. So uh, anyway, it does not negate that he did say some things that made sense, and and he actually doesn't even take credit for those things. He says it's based on other people's work, such as Jacques Ellul, who was a he wrote the Technological Society, and he was highly moral. And that would be the exact opposite. He came from a place of, I believe, Christian morality. And so I highly recommend Elul. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, That's not a better place better to end. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, a vastly better recommendation, but I, I actually sincerely uh, recommend it to you, Gabriel. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. And I think you have the brain power to sift through it. And then the next time we talk, you'll have like an, a laundry list of Elul quotes. Well, it sounds like a plan. It sounds like a plan. All right. Excellent. Thank you so much, Gabriel Custodiet of the Watchman Privacy Podcast. And this is Monica Perez of the Propaganda Report. Thank you for listening.